Good morning, good morning, Rabutai. Welcome to the uh, to breakfast and the class, uh, which is dedicated in loving memory of Louis Wagner, Alea Shalom, Lilunishbat Lea Rachel Batleib, Alea Shalom, on her first Azkara, sponsored by her son Robert Wagner, as well um, sponsored for Lea Rachel Batlea, um, sponsored by her daughter Nancy Wagner. What a beautiful uh, uh, gift to have children that are all uh, ensuring that your memory lives on and is supported by the zechut of uh, learning Torah. Uh, dedication as well, in loving memory, Lilui Nishmat, Sarah Beanstock, Alea Shalom, and for the Refuah Shalema of Moshe Yirmiyahu Ben Sarah, sponsored by the Gruenberg family, and uh, dedicated for the Refuah Shalema of Meir Ben Adelia, sponsored anonymously. Rabotai, we reach a magnificent portion um, in our parasha where Yaakov Avinu is blessing each and every one of his children. In fact, the Torah says these are the blessings that Yaakov Avinu gave to his children. So the Torah itself classifies what Yaakov is doing and what Yaakov is saying as blessings. And I must have heard this question a thousand times. Rabbi, if Yaakov is giving out blessings, how come at least three of them are not blessings? Because it seems like he blesses all of his kids, except for three, three of them, which he seems to give a curse to. Shimon and Levi, Yaakov Avinu says, Arur apam kiaz. Cursed is their anger, for it is brazen. Cursed is their anger? When it comes to Reuven as well, what does he say? Pahaz kamaim. You were too swift like water. You made a mistake. He chastises him. Reshit, you know, you, you were the first uh, kochi, you were the first of my strength, the first of uh, Reshit Oni. You're, the, you're my first. But you lost it because you were too quick. Too, uh, you, you, thought, you did something impetuously as opposed to thoughtfully and in a considerate manner. He was referring, of course, to Reuven's mistake. Bilbel Yisue Aviv. Uh, that he uh, uh, that he took initiative in uh, in moving Yaakov Avinu's uh, primary resting place, his bed, his bed to the tent of Leah of his mother, Rabutai. This question I've heard it so many times: Is he blessing his kids or is he cursing them? What is he choosing to do? And I think that the question itself is a fundamental mistake. I still remember when I was teaching once in London in a school, and one of the kids in the school, Jewish kid, never had any Jewish education, didn't really know all that much about Judaism, asked me, how come Jews don't celebrate Christmas? Because wasn't Jesus a prophet? Unbelievable. This is someone who, who thought that in our religion, Yeshua was someone that we believe is a prophet. I mean, it's, how do you not understand the, these two completely different religions? For her, religion was like a, a global term, and if there's some religious people that keep this, so Jews, not Jewish, to her, it was all the same, all right? So the question, I didn't give it an answer, because the question was a fundamental mistake. So instead, I educated her about the background, so the question disappears. Rabotai, this is exactly the same thing. This thing that people think that Yaakov Avinu gave them a curse is a fundamental uh, mistake, a flawed perspective, 
which needs to be fixed. And then the question goes away. But it needs to be fixed not just to address the question, but actually to address a huge problem. You know, I want, you, I want to give you an example. We, had, we shared a story on, uh, on uh, Surudash Elishit this week, which illustrated this point in, uh, in, in, uh, in maybe in much clearer terms. But I don't want to spend the time going through that story again, for those of you who remember the story with the inheritance. However, I want you to imagine for one second. I come to my friend, and I tell my friend, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm in terrible debt. I owe a million dollars to the bank. They're threatening to come take my home. They want to shut my business. They're going to force me to go bankrupt. I'm not going to be able to be, uh, to be in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the industry anymore. The guy is losing his mind. I'm crying. He's crying to his friend. The next day, a friend comes up and he says, um, you know, remember yesterday you came to my house. You asked me for a loan. You wanted me to help you out. You told me you a million dollars in debt. He says, Rohi, I took care of it. What do you mean you took care of it? He says, I went to the bank. I paid off your loan. You owed a million dollars. You were a million in the red. I paid it all. I felt so bad for you. This is what friends are for, for difficult times, right? You're free and clear. The guy is crying, he's so happy, unbelievable, he's hugging his friend, he's kissing him, he's this, he's that. Anyway, a week goes by, a month goes by, six months go by, a year goes by, and his friend comes to him and he says, listen, you know, it's now been a year since I bailed you out. You asked me, you came to me crying you needed the money. I, let, I gave, laid out all of it for you. He says, I see your business is doing well again. He says, please, let me know. I don't want to pressure you. But let me know when you, could, when you think you'll be able to pay me back. He says, pay you back? What pay you back? You never gave me any money. He says, what do you mean? You owed the, ba the bank a million. He says, I came, I went, I paid off the whole debt. The guy says, you, he says, yeah, you did pay back the debt. He says, so where's the money? He says, but why do I owe you the money? He says, I don't, are you crazy? He says, you didn't give me a million dollars. He says, you gave the bank a million dollars. Go get the money back from them. The guy says, I, I paid off your debt. I paid off the money you owed the bank. It was your money just in the red that they had a claim against you. So I, you owe me the money. The bank doesn't owe me the money. That story is the same as the question about what Yaakov is doing when he curses his children. Because he doesn't curse his kids. Read the Pesuk again. Arur apam kiaz. Cursed is their anger. There are two ways you could give someone a gift. One way is when you give the guy a gift, $10, you give him a gift. The other way is you pay off $10 of his debt. You still gave him exactly the same amount of money, $10. Right? Exactly the same. But Rabotai, it is only in our generation where we have become so sensitive as people. Where anything that isn't incredibly dripping with honey positive is a terrible, is a negative thing. We've become so politically correct, no one's allowed to say anything. You have a problem with the government, you're not allowed to open your mouth. Freedom of expression is only for people who think like me. This is how it works. We're so sensitive today that we are not aware of the fact that when Yaakov tells the children, Shimon and Levi, who have a tremendous, tremendous future in front of them, 
but they have one debt that they have to pay, one negative attribute that they need to get out of the way in order to achieve greatness. So one way to give someone that encouragement and that greatness is by giving them some sort of a blessing. But there's another way, Rabotai. And let me uh, widen the scope here. You know, some people would put on this world to achieve great things in the plus column. And some people will put in this world to achieve great things by eliminating things from the negative, from the minus column. Some people's purpose in life is to fight a negative Yetzirah. And some people's purpose in life, they don't have very strong Yetzirah to do the wrong thing. The question in Shaman, they're going to ask them is, what good things did you achieve? How much did you do in the positive column? But people, we, people are not monolithic. The service of God is not monolithic. It is very varied. And because that is the case, Rabotai, for some people, the greatest gift you could give them is to help them overcome the negative aspects of their character. Do that, and then they fly. This is a great beracha that Yaakov gives. He pays off their debt. He makes them debt-free. He rechannels the negative aspect of their character into something else. The Leviim actually don't lose their sword. And they don't lose their brazenness. They are the people that when Moshe says, Mi Lashem Eli, who? Who is for God amongst the people? Strap on your swords. It's the Leviim that strap on their sword again. Just this time it's not against Shechem. This time it's for the purpose of God's, of God's will. Pinechas. That's the Az of Shevet Levi. Chashmonaim. That's the Az of Shevet Levi. Rabotai, I need you to understand this because it's a fundamental part of growth in, in our lives. Rabotai, you know, we have this image in our brains that we are supposed to be perfect. And because we feel that we do not have this level of perfection, we feel less than or inadequate or inferior because we aren't living up to some sort of unrealistic expectation. I want to tell you something unbelievable, Rabotai. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu was a giant. But there was someone in Moshe's generation that was bigger than him. Who's uh, maybe the greatest living uh, Sadiq today? Maybe Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Wow, Gadol Ador. There's someone greater than Rav Chaim Kanievsky. And there's someone greater than Eliyahu Anavi. And there's someone greater than Avraham Avinu. You know who's greater than Avraham and Moshe and Eliyahu and Rav Chaim, uh, Rav, uh, Rav, uh, Rav Chaim Kanievsky? All of the Yetzirahs. The Gemara tells us, Kol HaGadol Mehavero Yitzro Gadol Hemenu Whoever is greater than their friend, yeah, in turn and proportionately, Yitzro, that person's Yetzer, Hara, Gadol Hemenu is greater than him. Now, of course, I'm playing games with the term greater, but stronger than Moshe was Moshe's Yetzer Hara. It had to be so. 
Otherwise, the day Moshe's Yetzirah is not stronger than him is the day Moshe needs to die because there's no purpose for him to be on planet Earth. Rabotai, if you see two boxers in a ring and one boxer is enormous and the other one is tiny, you want to watch the fight? That's not a fight, that's a beatdown. That should be illegal, right? <laughs> Just yesterday, the Mavericks played against the Clippers. Down by 50, down by 50 points. They weren't playing skee-ball. <laughs> they were playing basketball. You can only score twos and threes. That's the maximum amount you could score. There's no 50 bucket like in skee-ball that you could win. Right? It was a massacre. No, you don't want to watch a massacre. When a team is up, even if the home team is up by 20 points in a football game, the stadium empties before the end of the game. No point in watching. The greater a person is, the greater the Yetzirah. Of course, it doesn't mean that, uh, like as I always say, Moshe Rabbeinu had a desire to go mug some guy and steal his money. It doesn't mean that Reb Chaim Kanievsky, you know, stays up uh, all night and he watches movies. Of course not. Because this, the idea of the Yetzirah being greater usually means it's finer. The mistakes that it causes them to make are more and more and more and more subtle. Sometimes so subtle that none of us as regular people are even able to discern that that is a Yetzirah. But the point is, the whole point for existence is a balance, a fight which is fair between you and your Yetzirah. Rabotai, what does that mean? When it's a fair fight, as many punches as he gets in, he's going to get in. A fair fight looks like the fight of Yaakov Avinu with the angel, where he struggles with him all night. And you know what? The Yetzer Hara can't beat Yaakov, but neither can Yaakov beat the Yetzer Hara. The point of the game of that fight was to stay in the fight, to keep struggling with. When we have an image in our brains that we're supposed to be perfect, then anything less than perfection gets us depressed. When Instagram tells you that you're supposed to look like this and have this and go here and feel like this, then you feel less than because you don't have perfection. Which is why studies will tell us today that there's a direct link between the amount of time that you spend on social media and depression and suicide. Why? My life is not perfect. Because that's what social media platforms make it seem like it's supposed to be. Women's bodies are supposed to look like this. You know, your bank account is supposed to look like this. You know, your state of mind is supposed to be one which is always positive and cheery. And your family and your children are always happy. There's never schnot running down the kid's face. He always looks immaculate. Because that's reality, right? Rabutai, wake the heck up. People are flawed. You, me, everyone. If there were no flaws, there'd be no purpose. God makes us flawed. And it is our job to climb out the hole. So there's no difference between Yaakov handing Yehuda a plus blessing as there is for Yaakov to hand the son 
who has this negative attribute, this flaw, to hand him and get out of jail free card. But in the sensitive world, you can't say anything. Is not the greatest gift that a father could give a child that is failing, that is making a mistake, that is doing things that cause it to stray from its own personal path to greatness, is not the greatest thing that a father could do to chastise the child? It is uh, Shilomo HaMelech who taught us Spare the rod, hate the child. Now, I'm not telling you that you beat your kid with a stick. That's not the point. The point is an allegory. But if you're not disciplining your kid, you hate them. You're ruining them. You're allowing them to go whichever way they want. You know why parents don't want to discipline kids? It doesn't feel nice. No, you can't go here, you can't go there, you can't see this, you can't hang out there, you can't wear that. Parents have to discipline their children. But it's not nice. So when you're not disciplining the kid, who are you showing love for yourself? But you're showing hatred towards the kid. Because if you don't rein them in, if you don't help them, if you don't give them boundaries and show them the way things are supposed to be, you're ruining your child. So it is only in our generation, perhaps, that we look at these pesukim and we have a very big question. Everything's supposed to be perfect. How could Yaakov say to them? How could he be mean? This is not being mean, this is being loving. Rabotai, we live in a toxic circle. The toxic circle is, I think I'm supposed to be perfect. Therefore, if I'm not perfect, I'm flawed. Therefore, I can't handle anyone telling me I'm anything but perfect. Therefore, people stop telling me that I'm perfect, that I'm not perfect, because they don't want to get me mad, and they don't want me to throw a temper tantrum. Therefore, what happens? I indeed prevent myself from ever getting close to perfect. Are you seeing this circle? Rabotai, if only we had friends that were good enough that could tell us things as they are. If only we had a sense of confidence strong enough to allow ourselves to have friends like that. You can't get one of those blessings without the other. You can't have friends who tell you the truth unless you become a person who could handle the truth. May Hashem bless us literally bless us to uh, have friends and family like this. May we be zocher ultimately to be able to see the own, uh, our own inadequacies and our own failures and our own flaws. The flaws and failures and problems and challenges you have don't make you a bad person. They just make you a person. And if you can love yourself even when you're flawed, because that's how God makes everybody. If you could love yourself and appreciate yourself and be your own cheerleader, then slowly but surely, those flaws get buffed out and you're left with the most beautiful and polished diamond ever. But imagine someone who has a diamond and it's, not, uh, it's got a flaw in it. And he takes it to the jeweler and he says, please cut it for me and buff it for me. 
And the guy says, well, there's a problem here and there's an issue here. And the guy says, I don't want to know. Just, could you imagine? You go to a guy, please classify the diamond for me. He tells you, I don't know if it's so clear. I don't know if it's so bright. I think it might have. You tell him, I don't want to hear it. Just, just give, me the, give me the piece of paper that says it's okay. You know what happens when you keep getting that paper that says that you're a de-clarity, I forget the exact terminologies, right? It's been a long time since I had to buy someone a diamond, right? <laughs> right? But you know what happens when you get that piece of paper and you think that it's perfectly clear and perfectly, uh, uh, you know, the right color and the right everything? The biggest problem happens when your piece of paper and your own idea of your self-worth and value hits the realities and you try and sell the stone and you realize it's worth a lot less than you allowed yourself to believe. That's our challenge in life. Embracing our imperfections and embracing the people who share them with us constructively and embracing the process of being able to work them out and to become our very best selves. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad because you have an issue. Feel alive because you have an issue. See it as the challenge that God intended it to be. See it as the road to your personal greatness. Hashem hands you a flaw, and if you could just open it up and hear those words, your mission, should you choose to accept it. Right? Those are your marching orders. That's your job. That's your mission. That's your challenge. That's your greatness. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen.